Hello and welcome to Who's Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about Emma, which is a Chilean uh, sort of psychosexual drama directed by Pablo Larraín, who made Tony Monero, which you've seen. He made uh, Jackie as well, which we both saw together and I think we both really loved. Yeah. It's funny because he's one of those directors whom I admire the films, but actually I haven't really love them so uh i liked no very much yeah which is it's a film about how uh the advertising industry was deployed to get rid of pinochet yeah so um gael garcia bernal who is in this film plays this like advertising guy you know who this who, who devises a campaign that finally wins this plebiscite to get rid of the dictatorship and actually that's really wonderful uh, and it's really wonderful because it uses television, the different graininess of, you know, kind of types of television and videos and so on. So that I really liked. But also I think it's quite an intellectual film. And really what I what I haven't liked about Larraine's films, I- including Jackie, is that I think they're a bit distancing and, and cold, really. Mm. And actually, th- this one I really thought was not like that i would say i mean this one has a real emotional openness yeah um, i mean i would have said that about jackie as well although i think the kind of the de- the demeanor of the f- of the style of jackie was kind of distancing i know what you mean there's a there's a there's a deliberation to it that there isn't about this yeah i mean jackie was all about her being turned into an icon right mm. into an image and to yeah so, but so, it's also about so, what was behind the argument because it was about that week after JFK's assassination and her having to deal with everything. And I remember moments in that film of like looking after her kids and trying to make sure that the kids aren't being corrupted and and, and uh, having their lives kind of ruined by all of the hubbub that's going on and kind of walking into rooms and just just trying to protect the two people kind of most important to her kids. So although although there was a a, a mode to the filmmaking that was kind of slow and deliberate. I think there was such a real emotional openness in Natalie Portman's performance that came oh, through. She was she was fantastic, uh, and actually he's great. He's he's great with actors, like right? But I thought the film, I mean, to me, this is his most accessible film. Yeah, it's the one that I felt. You know, I was involved in these characters' feelings in a way. It's all about feeling. This film, right? Mm. It's kind of almost all about raw feeling. Yeah, kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, and feelings that are not. Um, necessarily accessible to the characters themselves that they're living through but can't quite articulate. So, so this is the film. Uh, it might not be his best film, but it's the film that I warm to the most. It's a film to, to me feels a bit of an experiment. There's it. Raw is is a good word to describe it in so many ways. I think because although I think it has negative connotations, I mean, it sounds to, it sounds like I'm saying it's unfinished or something, which I don't think is the case. But there are points in which you think, or at least I felt, I wasn't entirely following uh, the plot. Um, yes. I wasn't entirely together on which character was which or exactly what information various characters had and so on and so forth, that I think a more refined version of this story would have been much more clear about. I'm not sure, because I think the film uses it as a kind of a suspense so, you know, you think you're in the middle of all of this emotional messiness that results out of 
Um, so, a child has been adopted. It, he's been returned for adoption. And as a result of that, you know, a, a couple begins to break up. Right, so you you begin in the film by thinking that you're in the middle of this emotional messiness, and actually it only becomes clear at the end what's been happening. Yeah, so there's there's like an element of, um, so the clarity comes only at the end. You only realize you know who these people are in relation to each other at the very end of the film. Um, so in what I, sense, of, I thought I, I thought I actually had a better sense of it than that. To be fair, ah. what, what was it that you felt was made clear for you at the end that you weren't clear about before then? And I suppose we should say there will be spoilers coming up because we're talking about the end of the film. So, for example, her relationship with the fireman, hmm. I thought it was just sexual experimentation, you know, in the throes of a divorce. Hmm. Uh, you know, her relationship with his wife you know, who I didn't realize was his wife. You don't know it's his wife until almost the last three minutes of the film, right? Um, I mean, I didn't realize they were a couple. And actually, I didn't realize that her sleeping with both of them had been very purposeful in relation to the child that she had given up for adoption. That's what I started to work out. You do know, but they are that it's done in just a few shots and you can miss them. You do see the firefighter and his wife with the adopted son in these shots of like a coffee shop and it's just one or two shots sprinkled in. Ah. I don't know if you remember them at all, but like that is just showing them and then you go back to whatever the, you go back to what the the main character is doing. But you've never seen the child before, so they're talking about this child Polo. But you'd never seen it. That's true. They don't introduce the child properly until the very end. But but you have but you have seen him, and I, I so I took that I made the assumption, which turned out to be a correct assumption from those shots, that this was the family, this was the child's new parents, and that's why she was trying to move into their lives. So I made that assumption. Well, you're brighter than I because I just thought, you know, at that point, because you you know you learn things. Uh, piecemeal and then you know the puzzle mm. begins to fill out so you know at that point I just thought you know oh they're a couple and that's their child you know and she's sleeping with both of them and it might break up the, fa the family or whatever but I didn't I mean I, I did you weren't told that that child was her child right yeah, yeah. yeah. so 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 I think for me Kind of, it only kind of came together at the end. Yeah. I mean, I must say at the moment, what's happening is you're making my point better than I did because my point was that there are things in the film that that are not necessarily explained that clearly, or plot points that aren't necessarily made more real. But actually, you know, I, I was sort of, I did pick up on these things, um, right. or, or or at least, you know, pick up might be too strong, but I, I made the correct assumptions about why we were being shown what we were being shown. I suppose. Okay. But it's true to say that it did require assumptions. You know. Yeah. I didn't mind not knowing until the end. Yeah. I loved the whole exploration of these characters um, in pain. Yeah, so you, you also sense that kind of, you know, there's a lot of love uh, between the couple, uh, between Emma and her husband, you know, but there's also a dynamic, um, you know, she's in a kind of exploration, trying to make sense of her life. She's very free with it. She's very articulate with it. And also the actress has this lovely, calm presence. Mm. You know, I think uh, that kind of draws you in, really. And actually, I thought it was also very beautiful. Like, 
you know, I, I maybe have to see it again and think it through some more, you know, but the film has this look, which is almost like curvilinear, yeah, because the film is set, I think, in, in Valparaiso in Chile, and it's a hilly port town, right? So there's always these streets that mesh on a horizon, you know, that kind of curve in, right? Um, that's kind of very beautiful, and also, I think, kind of, well, set a particular scene on a life that always has, like, a horizon and a perspective, but it's kind of, like, hemmed in in some way, yeah? Um, there's a mm. lot of shots through glass, that, yeah? There's a lot of shots in big, empty spaces, right? I kind of, I, I really um, loved all of that, and I love the fact that the character is always calm and articulate while clearly going through a process of turmoil and discovery, yeah. Mm. So what do you think she... Um, she clearly wants to get her kid back, but do you... Because th- you describe her as calm, but is that calm... Do you feel that she, what she's doing is calculated, or was it only at the end when it was kind of revealed that it was, that you understood it? I saw her throughout as a thinking person, Mm. Yeah, so, um, you know, there's always a kind of aspects of calculation, right? So, for example, you know, when she picks up the fireman, uh, you know, kind of, yeah, I mean, she was doing all the talk, she was doing the picking up, it was very deliberate, Mm. you know. um, But I also felt she was being very honest about her attraction and what, you know, and so on. Um, so, so, So that happens on different levels on the film. So, you know, there's calculation in the sense of, you know, picking him up. (laughs) And then there's calculation that, oh, you know, it's the man who is now the foster father to the child that she gave up and regrets, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, The thing I found really beautiful visually about the film was the opening 15 minutes, which to me were kind of functioning as a short film unto themselves. They really had that feel for me. It was something very concise and poetic about the way the film opened, with you, with you really not understanding where you where exactly you were in the story and it was starting to unfold. And then it was intercut with this imagery of the dance sequence with the giant sun in the background. That was beautiful. Which was, was incredible. Beautiful. Have you ever seen anything like that? I mean, it was like Interstellar, you know, like, but, but done on a, on a stage in Chile. It was unbelievable. And it made me think, God, I wish I was seeing this at cinema. And as it turns out, because I went to see, you know, went to see when it came out, basically, and it turns out not only was this not at the cinema, it was actually picked up by Mubi for UK and US distribution, and they were going to have a theatrical release, but COVID nineteen stopped that. Mm. So that's why it's been released here. Uh, kind of that's where most people are seeing it for the first. It's had a premiere and stuff at, at um, Venice, but you know this yeah. is where most. But so this is where most people are seeing it for the first time, but. You know, you you really feel God. This would this would scream out on the cinema screen. It would be unbelievable to look at. It's very beautiful, and it has moments of um, that are almost like musical numbers. Yeah. So at the beginning, and certainly at the end, when all the uh, women are dancing together, um, that are almost like uh, like 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 numbers in a musical film. Really, you know, they're quite extended. Um, and they're obviously kind of signifying on a different level on the, you know, the, and she's a dancer. So there's a lot of talk about, you know, freedom and freedom in relation to movement and how one moves and how, yeah, how one mm. deploys one's body. And those, those musical numbers kind of signify that. There's also kind of a whole discourse on 
kind of music and culture and you know um i love the whole conversation with uh, Gael Garcia Bernal where he describes reggaeton as as music of oblivion and imprisonment mm-hmm. right and obviously that's meant to be a mark against his character because you know she's using that music to express herself and to be free but actually you can also kind of see what he says yeah you know he so he's got this whole thing about sex and drugs and your know, orgies he says right and all of it leading to a kind of an oblivion that is lived through this particular beat which is then a way of keeping the world at bay of dealing with a world yeah of of kind of of searching oblivion to the the world i thought that was wonderful he talks about it being a way of not thinking as well doesn't he something like that yes the, the beat the beat keeps you from thinking and it's he says i mean it's not just that he says this is prison this is sort of uh, a mental prison but he says this is music for listening to in prison yeah you know so i think that there's also i think he's also relating it to um class and maybe race there as well which doesn't reflect on his character well on his character he's definitely relating it to all of that, and to her. But the film is with her. Actually, you know, I thought it's a sign of Gael Garcia Bernal's generosity that he took on this part, you know, (laughs) because he is like a kind of a world superstar, you know, uh, and certainly a superstar of Latin American cinema. And this is a very minor part. Yeah, it's it's kind of, he's the husband, really. Yeah. Yeah. Not not only is he the husband, but he's also impotent, which is a major plot point, and impotent in a way that like his character really feels it. You know, it's I mean it's 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 kind of explicit in the fact that they talk about his impotence a lot, and there's talk about the, the fact that made him adopt a kid, and she and, and she throws at him these insults that he you can't give me a real kid, but at the same time there's something understated about the way in which he feels it. You know, you can tell he feels emasculated by this. Yes, but I think he's not impotent. He's infertile. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. So, yeah. Infertile. You know, he, he can't give her a child, you know, but you get the sense that their sex life must have been terrific at some point because she tells him, actually, I think she's got a moment of something where she says, you don't know how beautiful you are or something like that. Yeah, um, and there's talk about how much she loves him at points as well. Like, they do yeah. kind of emotionally flip backwards and forwards at times because there are also these times when... I think were incredible when they are throwing these ridiculously hurtful insults at each other in the calmest way. You know, they just exchange them and they do it down the barrel as well. Like the camera's looking right at them and they're saying them to us and you've got to feel how hurtful this is. And they really go for the jugular. You know, he's infertile. She's a monster. Yeah, I mean, there's this thing about she's, she's a pyromaniac. At night, she goes out setting things on fire, and you kind of go, "Where did she get a flamethrower from?" Doesn't matter. It's just part of the film's structure of feeling that she has a flamethrower and can go out and set things on fire. Um, but there's this thing about the kids when they had the kid, um, burnt the house down, and injured the uh, her sister quite badly and burned half her face. And she she holds this against her. You know, she says, "Your son tried to kill me," and so on. And you no, know, she was just playing with matches. He was just playing with matches, but. You know, there's there's a straight line between her pyromania and the kids, I think. Or it, well, it's not explicit, but it is implied, I think, or you can read into it um, that I I felt at least she has a weird feeling of ownership and relationship to what the kid did with the matches, 
And it's so it's like responsibility, but at the same time, she kind of she believes well, you should feel what you want to feel, and she was just playing, you didn't know what he was doing. So there's a kind of complicated relationship there, but she's clearly responsible in part for that. And that's something he can then throw at her, you know, that's what makes her a monster. Well, what you did led to this to your sister. It's funny because I didn't see her as a pyromaniac. I mean, I thought that, you know, that was just an accident, Uh you know. Um, So, I mean, you do see her at the very beginning of the film torching those lights. And at the very end of the film, she's filling up her petrol can. (laughs) You do see one or two occasions in the middle as well. She goes out with her girlfriends and they burn a car and things. In fact, that's when they meet the firefighter for the first time, when she torches the car. Oh, you see, it's interesting because I I kind of, I read that... um, as an insurance scam type of thing, because it was there. I car. thought it might be that initially as well, but she did keep on doing it. <laughs> but now, in retrospect, you see it as that was her way of reeling in the fireman. Mm. Yeah, whom she already knew was, you know, the new adopted father to her, to her yeah. adopted, that's the adopted son she'd given up. So I think kind of, you know, the film for me really coheres you know, and it's and it's really deliberate, uh, and it's very beautiful to see. Yeah, visually, I think, um, and and it draws you in. Yeah, it's kind of, it's very interesting because it's a film that, in a way, is full of pain. Yeah, it's kind of you know you're instantly inserted in this kind of sea of feeling, really, um, in a way that I have not encountered in Larraín's films before. Uh, and that I liked very, very much. And then you think that, you know... So so one of the unusual things about this film is that you see a woman, and she's very sexually free and playful with it, yeah, also deliberate. She says, I'm an evil woman to the fireman, and so on. But usually when you see women like this in film... They behave like this because they don't attach any value, you know, to... um, They don't get emotional about sex, let's say. Yeah. Whereas, you know, this is a woman who's very cool, yeah, Uh, and and who is a thinking person, and yet kind of, you know, part of the sex thing is both calculated, but also a way of dealing with this emotion that she's feeling and trying to work out, yeah? It's mm-hmm. kind of a very interesting combination that, that I think the film shows us. Yeah, and I think the motif of fire is really important to it because it, it, it does come through everything. You know, it, it, there's a reason that she expresses herself at night through setting things on fire and there's the, uh, there's a reason that it's the sun blazing hot and giant behind that dance scene in the opening yeah. few minutes. Um, I, I, you know, it speaks, like, as you say, she's cool um, externally, but she is, she's hot, yeah, hot-headed, angry. I mean, the thing is, it's interesting you say about the feeling of pain in the film because I really feel that feeling of pain with Gail Garcia Bernal's character, as I said. Yes. With her character, um, it's clear what she wants, but it's not entirely as clear to me why she feels how she feels, or you know, she 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 if she has pain, she expresses it through anger. Um, rather than kind of sadness as as, as Bernal does. Um, well, that's true, but she's expressing it throughout the film because you get the feeling that she's lost. She's lost her son. 
She feels yeah. guilty because she returned him, right? Uh, as the film begins, she doesn't even know where he is or anything. Her relationship is crumbling, and yet her relationship is also her work. And and then you see her finding other work, and you see her talking to her mother and her sister. And, you know, so, uh, I mean, she's always calm about it, but the things that you see her do are not the actions of a calm person. <laughs> yeah. They're the actions of a, of a person who's lost, but who is nonetheless taking the decisions. Whereas the thing about the, the guy Garcia Bernal character is all the decisions are made for him. He's just like the, the passive mm. victim of what this woman does. Yeah. You never see him act, do you? No, I think that's true. Um, I, I, I think I would say it's a failing of the film for me, though, that I wanted more of a sense. I mean, I don't think I really got any sense of actually her love for the kid and the feeling of what she had lost when they gave him up. Um, because I think you meet her, you, you kind of meet her in the middle of it and then the film uh, explains what happened and they talk about what happened. Um, but you meet her in, in the throes of already kind of acting I got more of a feeling. I I didn't get the feeling that I wanted or that I think I needed of of her sense of loss. You know, so when she was going through this stuff to get the kid back, I kind of thought, but why do you want him so much? Because I don't feel that you do actually. I know that you do, but I didn't feel that she does. I didn't feel that she felt like, oh well, this he, he, I lost him and he needs and he he completes me and all, all that kind of thing is not what I felt mm. from her. Um, I did. I mean, I did in that dialogue with a social worker, you know, that is at the very beginning of the film, you know, where the social worker is saying, you're a horrible person, you're a bad mother, you're a this and a that, and, you know, how could you give up the child? You know, she's trying to kind of find out where he is and so on. And actually, the film begins, to me, yeah, that's true. with a whole social judgment on this person and her actions. And actually her guilt, her desire to see him, her attempts to find out what's happened to him and, you know, her regret. Um, so so I, I had... I, I mean, that was not a problem for me. I forgot uh, that opening scene where they're walking. You're right, it, it's, it's all in that scene. Um, and you're right to point out that scene. But I, but I would say as well, I think apart from that scene, I, I don't think I felt it. It's definitely in that scene, though, you're right. Um, for me, the only problem with the film or what I it's not even a problem but what I would like what what I would have liked to have seen better was actually the dancing you know because, I knew you'd say this you always well say because this. The, the dancing wasn't good enough you know uh, I thought you know kind of to see great dancing is such a thrill and I think you know the dancing in the film is is ragged tone. It's all these arm gestures and you know and so on. But but it's not great dancing and and actually it's not great choreography. And I would have loved it if the film had provided those moments of real beauty and release in the body, you mm. know. Uh, and I don't think these dance sequences quite do that. I think you're right. I mean, she talks about when she goes to get the job at the school where she knows her son is, she talks to the teacher about wanting to teach kids freedom and that's how she teaches dance and so on. Yes. Um, and you, you understand that. But the only time I felt it really in the actual dancing that you see is that moment where she's on her own on the rooftop uh-huh. and you see her silhouetted against like a sunset and it's very beautiful and she's just dancing there for herself and on her own. 
Yeah. Um, whereas every, every, all the other times, you know, she when she's in the in the dance sequence at the start, it's a performance for a show and it's choreographed and you don't really feel it. Um, and other times, it's just kind of she's there with her girlfriends and you feel you, you feel the camaraderie and, and so on of the troupe. But again, it's the dancing itself is doesn't really express as much as you want it to. Yes, that to me was what I would have liked to have seen better. The other things I loved very much, and actually I think they're very unusual, because one of the things that is unusual, I think, about this film is the way that Emma, the main character, is completely fluid sexually. You know, kind of, Hmm. she's with men, she's with women, she doesn't seem to have any problem. You know, they're both kind of like a turn-on for her. Um, you get a sense of a kind of a very fluid kind of sexuality, um, you know, whilst her character, in a way, is is kind of fixed, yeah? I mean, I do think you get a sense, a very clear sense of who she is as a person, you know, um, but actually you don't get a real sense. Like, if you were to say you know, what is her sexuality? I wouldn't be able to answer. I mean, you know, is she, is she bisexual? Is she a lesbian? You know, is she heterosexual having a, a dalliance? Is, you know, is she somewhere kind of in between? And actually the film doesn't make an issue of it at all and doesn't make it a problem. And, you know, this is just what she does, really. Yeah. And kind of what she does is kind of connected with who she is, but doesn't define who she is. Or certainly the sex doesn't define who she is. The giving up her child back to the adoption agency is much more of something that she struggles with and has guilt about and feels shame about rather than anything that she does sexually, which I think is very unusual in a film. I, I mean, I like the fact that she, sex is kind of so many things to her. So you get the you get the idea that clearly there's um, a, uh, a a genuine emotional attachment element to it. I think you get that um, with the husband. Obviously, yeah. you get the idea that it's saying that she is willing to use it as a tool uh, and to seduce and manipulate and so on. But at the same time, she will still enjoy it. You know, in that wonderful montage where you see her having sex with four different people at once in four different times and locations. Um, you know, you get the feeling that she's enjoying all of them and participating in all yes. of them, despite the fact that she's doing it for different reasons or doing different things in each of them. Yes. Um, and, you know, you, you just get the sense that that's just kind of who she is. She will fuck anything that moves at times, and why not? You know, she when she's sitting there with her girlfriends and, and she says, I thought about you and you and you and you, you know, just why not? She's just mm. thought about having sex with all her friends. I like I like that fluidness. I'm not sure she would sleep with anyone, um, but well, know, I don't mean it of... to say that I don't. I don't mean that in a sense that like she can't control herself. She's not a nymphomaniac. Yeah. I don't think you don't get that sense whatsoever. She's no, completely in control exactly. of herself, but she just she doesn't mind. She you know she 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 um she's not picky based on sort of who you are or whatever. She's just like nothing will really stop her if she doesn't want to. Well, she sees it differently. And she's free in the way, in a way that the other characters in the film are not, um, and in a way that her husband uh, actually is not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it is kind of like an exploration of her freedom, you know. But but freedom, not in a facile way. Freedom in the sense of a whole series of, you know, 
a context for her life that is not of her own choosing and also kind of a past that is full of mistakes and regrets, right? So I think that's also something that I find very interesting about this film. Yeah, the kind of, you know, it's not a facile idea of freedom, yeah? Kind of, you know, it's kind of freedom in a messy world. Which in a sense, I suppose, is is something that I felt I needed more context than about or explanation about with her wanting the kid back because that is because that leads you into such a structured life or such a, a kind of rigid life in some ways having a kid that you have to look after um and you it, maybe you even get the sense that one of the reasons that they couldn't handle the child was because she's not cut out for that and at one point the social worker says to her maybe you're just not cut out to be a mum and she finds that you know deeply hurtful but it might be true um so like there's this thing about how she is she she's constructed as um you know free in all these all these kind of ways and and uh, willing to do whatever she wants and give in to her desires and so on um but then at the same time she has this in in some way basic very maternal instinct and desire to have this child and be a mother she goes to great lengths to have children she very much wants to be a mother. I wanted that reconciled more in a way. Or not reconciled, but but handled more. They feel very, very disparate in a way that the film doesn't handle. Well, I, I don't quite agree because the whole thing, the whole film is full of, you know, opprobrium for Emma. I mean, basically what you see throughout the film is, you know, almost the whole world, except her friends, telling her how she is unfit for so many different reasons yeah and you know the whole film in a way is a quest for her child yeah yeah oh yeah yeah so um so anyway i i kind of i i liked it very very much and i thought the the score was beautiful you know very haunting and melodic and sad yeah so i think and, and actually this is you know i must say one of the things that I, and it might just be my current mood, <laughs> but one of the things that I loved about the film is that it's kind of melancholic. It's sad. <laughs> yeah, it's a film about failure. Yeah, it's kind of, it's a film really which is, you know, takes us through the breakup of all of these relationships and dynamic changes through the, these relationships with her mother, with her sister, with her lovers, with, yeah, uh, all while she's trying to get her child back and, and, and get pregnant. And trying to be, you know, in control of her own life and free, you know. And she's not alone. She's got a network of friends and she's got a support system. There's other dancers, <laughs> right? Yeah. And she's calm and cool and collected. But on the other hand, you know, it, it is everything in the film speaks a kind of a melancholia, a sadness, a loss. Yeah. Mm. I think it's interesting that um, uh, as well as being... Uh, infertile. The Gail Garcia Bernal character is very consciously shown to be older than she is, and older, in fact, than the rest of the troupe. She's like he's probably yeah. ten or fifteen years older than she is. Twelve. And people make say. mention of that. Sorry. Uh, they mention twelve. Oh, it, twelve. 12 years old. So there you go. Um, and he, and he looks it as well, you know. Um, and and I think the, the complaint about reggaeton has something to do with that as well. You know, sure. and um, and in some sense, I think he has quite a conservative look to him, the way he looks and dresses. Sure. Um, whereas she is, you know, kind of punky and out there, and has this shock of white hair and and yeah. so on. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess that just kind of feeds in as well. As well to, I suppose there's a thing in their relationship where you kind of 
it's obvious that they got together, they, they fell in love, he was a choreographer and she was a dancer, and that just happens, but you do kind of think, well, how did you two get together, you know, <laughs> at some points? I don't know, because actually, I, I understand that, and they tell you, you know, I mean, there's that scene where they're sitting at the bar, again, I think we referred to it previously, where she says, you know, you don't know how beautiful you are, right, uh, yeah. and she says that to him. Right. So I think kind of young, I understand why they got together. I mean, you know, yeah, he's, yeah. he's, you know, he's very beautiful. She's very beautiful, I think. And she's very kind of charismatic. I mean, you know, she's somebody you want to look to maybe because she's so um, withdrawn. Yeah. So, you know, the film tells us about her, but she as an actress is very kind of closed off. Yeah. You have to. You, you keep looking at her, right? And actually, it's the situation that expresses her feelings rather than her face, yeah? Yeah, I kind of get what you mean. Yeah. I mean, it's not a Ryan Gosling sort of thing. I mean, she is, I think, expressive herself. Mm. Um, but it's it's more about it's more about the characters. I mean, I think she's fantastic, really. I don't I, know if she's been anything her. before. I, I think she's extraordinary yeah. and kind of yes. a real sort of discovery. Ma- Mariana no. Di Girolamo, her name is... And she's wonderful, um, yes. and and again, I kind of the way she looks. She has that kind of. I suppose it's a look in some sense that that has been showing up recently. If you look at films like uh, Atomic Blonde or Vox Lux, this this kind of punky, almost sci-fi sort of mm. feminist um, sort of sort of star who doesn't really take any shit from people and is quite self-possessed, knows what she wants. That's that's all over her in this. And then the look of the film, I mean, like I say, that the stuff with the sun had, it was Gaspar Noe, sort of mm. trippy, sort of incredible, yes. single colour visuals, the light from the back. It was unbelievable the way that stuff looked at the start. And she fits in it really nicely. And I love the way you can pick her out of all of that. Where, you know, whatever group she's in, she, you can see exactly which one she is because it's the hair and the way she yes. stands and you find her in a crowd. I love that. I really love this film, actually. Um, and it's almost like kind of, you know, the more I talk about it, with you, you know, the more that it makes me kind of want to return to it. And I must say, I haven't felt that way about um, Tony Manero and Postmortem, uh, which both starred Alfredo Castro, who, who's, who's an actor who has a kind of a very creepy kind of look, you know, and I thought it was very distancing. And of course, the films themselves are. So I kind of, I really loved the... Um, I wouldn't say warmth of this because it's, it wouldn't be right to say it's warm, but it's emotionally open, yeah, mm. uh, in a way that uh, the other films weren't to me. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I I like it very very much. I rather liked it. Good film. Yes, um, it's mm. on movie. So um, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. What's goodbye in Spanish? Adios. Oh, yeah, that's right. How do you forget that?